Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Good morning, everyone. Um, I have the privilege to carry on the series of Jonah. This is actually the first time I've ever done a PowerPoint, so you're going to have to bear with me on this one. Um, yeah. By, by, but really, Tom's done the PowerPoint, and I've, I've added like three words in it, so <laughs> this is Tom's PowerPoint, but, um, but yeah. Um, last week, Tom it, uh, started off this series that we're looking at in, in the book of Jonah, um, and the prophet Jonah, and, and his life. You know, Tom made a, an amazing point last week where this is one of the few prophets in the Old Testament that's written about where you see more about his life than really even the ministry that he's doing. It's more of a his walk with God and his relationship with God. And we see that more so in Jonah than almost in any other of the Old Testament prophets. And this is is one of the great things. And also with this book of Jonah, what's amazing is it's one of the few times or really the only time in the Old Testament where God is calling someone to prophesy to people outside of his home nation. It's one of the, the only time where his sole purpose is actually to bring a prophecy to those that aren't in Israel. And again, this brings the, the complications with it that Jonah finds. But, but this is a wonderful message, and again, a message that speaks of Jesus who was to come. When Jesus was on this earth, he said, no sign shall I give you except the sign of the, the prophet of Jonah. And again, this is a, it is a picture of God's work, not just with the church, but with those throughout the whole world, and the mercy and the grace of God. So if you would... We're going to read um, Jonah, and it's going to come up on the screen, but um, if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to go to chapter 1. Um, I'm going to kind of be going against all kind of um, new church, like strategy growth initiative ideas, and actually we're going to read the whole chapter today. So you're going to have to... Bear with. But if you go here, so Jonah, we're going to read chapter 1 and just go through the whole thing. It says here, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He headed down to Joppa, and when he found a ship bound for that port, After paying the fare, he went abroad and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out for his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, and where he had laid down and fell into a deep sleep, The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to see who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from and what is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? 
They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault and that this great, that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back on the land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. You know, last week, Tom spoke about running from God. This is what first happens. God gives the word to Jonah, and Jonah runs from God. And there is a valid reason for it. Sometimes we can look at this, and we can be quite flippant when we talk about people in the Bible and not really contextualize what that would be for us. But this was a nation that had been at war with Israel where he would have grown up in a nation where it, for generations and generations, those around him had been killed by these people, had been murdered, and they were at war, and these were their enemies. And that God had called him to go and preach a message of repentance to the very people that were destroying his own families and his own nation. You know, this wasn't a light thing for Jonah. This wasn't an easy thing, but God was, was dealing with something and showing his great mercy. But in doing this, Jonah runs away from the Lord. And Jonah speaks about this later in the book. But Jonah flees the Lord because of this. And, he, and, he, and it says that he left the presence of God. One of, one of the, um, one of the uh, versions says that he leaves the face of God in disobeying. That's what it is when we disobey. We, we turn away from God and his way. We turn away from what he's doing. It's, again, it was... We see it in, in the Garden of Eden when, when Adam and Eve sin, sinned and then they hid themselves from God. But today we're going to speak about how God pursues us, how God pursues us. You know, I remember an amazing, amazing thing that um, the late Reinhard Bonnke once said of Adam and Eve when he said you, when they sinned and they hid themselves from God that man had decided that they didn't want to walk with God anymore, but God had not chosen to not walk with man anymore. That God was still looking for them in the garden when they hid themselves in it. And again, in the book of Jonah, you see a God that is pursuing and seeking to grab a hold of Jonah, even when Jonah has walked away from him. And this is the wonderful mercy and the grace of our God that he looks for us and he, and he tries to capture us and bring us back. That God didn't forsake Jonah even when Jonah forsook him. And we see the, the life of what, what walking away from God does. It says here in, in verse 5, it said that when this storm is brewing, when everything's going around, it says where the ship is almost at the brink of being, being broken up by this storm. This wasn't a mild storm. This was, the ship was about to be destroyed. They're, they were all about to drown. And it said that Jonah was asleep. Again, this speaks of a life when we walk away from God, that our hearts are hardened, that we become numb and desensitized. We just... We sleep through the situations that we're in. We're just, we're neglectful. We're not able to understand what's going on around us. We're not awakened to anything. We just become dull and numb. And Jonah was here sleeping, and it took 
a man that didn't even know God, to say to him, call on your God. Sometimes when we're walking away from God, and I, I know this myself so easily, we just become numb and we become so unaware of how God is trying to get our attention and get a hold of us. And here again, it's the, it's the mercy of God that, that brings us to repentance. It's the, it's the mercy of God that brings us back. But how often when we decide to walk away from Jesus that we just become numb. We, we, don't, we don't hear what he's saying anymore. We don't see what he's doing among, in our midst. We don't, we're no longer seeking him. We're no longer aware of what God is doing. And this is what happened to Jonah here. But again, this is God can wake us up. God can awaken us, you know, as, as he did with Saul who became Paul when he was blind, where he took the scales off his eyes so he could see. Again, God can do this for us today. That even when we have had numb or hardened hearts where we are no longer perceiving what God is doing or saying in amongst us, that God is able to remove those blinders. God is able to soften those hearts. I think it's in Ezekiel, it says that I'll, God says to his people, says, I will remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That God is here to give us soft hearts and receptive hearts and wants us to know what he's doing. He wants us to have communion and union with him. But again, God does not forsake us and God still goes after us even time and time again. It is a wonderful call. Another thing you see here in this, this chapter is, is the sovereignty of God. You know, it speaks about that God sent the storm. That God sent the, that the, the storm got stormier and stormier, that it came from the Lord. And it says in the end that God sent a fish to swallow Jonah up, to keep him and protect him. But this is the sovereignty of God, and people, um, there are far more intelligent people than me that can go deep and long into the sovereignty of God. But one way to see the sovereignty of God is literally how a state is sovereign. For a state to be sovereign, it literally means that there is no other authority or power that has authority over that state. It means the laws and the, and the way it chooses to govern and the way it chooses to act is independent of anyone or anything else. And this is what we mean by the sovereignty of God, is, is that God is not subject to anyone else. God doesn't have to get a second opinion, or God doesn't have to get approval from anyone else. The sovereignty of God means that he acts and he governs based on his decision. And that it, is, it is of no one else that is involved. That when we say God is sovereign, that means God has absolute authority in his kingdom. Well, that does, but obviously what that also means when we talk about a sovereign state is the people in that state still have free will. If a, if a nation is governed by its government and it's not subject to any other nation, it doesn't mean that everyone in that nation can, doesn't get a, a choice. You know, in, in our country today, we have, we have a government, but we can still choose how to live our lives. We still have a, have a plethora of options in what to do and what to, to not do. But even in our decisions, whether we obey the laws that we live in or we disobey, it doesn't change what the laws are. It just, it's just our response to it. And again, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, it's not to say that no man has a choice in anything, but it means that the covenant that God has given us through Jesus Christ, the, the, the foundational, the, the gospel of Jesus is unchangeable. And the authority of God that comes through that is unchangeable. And that we can't change the word of God. We can't change. It doesn't mean that our actions change God. But that our actions are in a response to the sovereignty of God. And again, 
what we see here is, is Jonah still chose to go away, but the sovereignty of God, the God who rules the, the heavens and the earth, is still at work here, still to get a hold. And today, even in our lives, God is still speaking and, and ministering to us and trying to move in and amongst us, but we still have a choice in these things and how to respond. And this is, this is a, a, an easy way to, to see the sovereignty of God and how that works that Christ still has dominion in his church, and, and through Christ Jesus, Jesus alone determines the Christian life. That we can respond to it however we want, but the standard is set by God and God alone. And this is the sovereignty of God. You know, it says in Isaiah 66 at the beginning, it says, heaven is my earth. No, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. It says, has not my hand made all these things so that they came into being? Again, the, the, the heavens and the earth and the sea and the land was all created and exists by the will of God. So, of course, he can, he can use these things to speak to us and through us. I think so often, especially in my life in particular, especially when you, um, you know, obviously we, we believe in faith and, and we believe in these things, but sometimes we can have this thing of where, all, of our, all the world around us is, is subject to, you know, obviously fallen nature of man and, and the enemy that's against us. But, but for God to move in our lives, we have to get everything right. And, and but everything, 99% of things are responsible by, you know, what we do or what others do or what the enemy does. And that yet so little response to what God is that we are often so quick to not even consider, is this God actually working in and amongst these things? So quick we are to, di- to dismiss that and... And obviously, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, it brings lots of questions. You know, a natural response to the sovereignty of God is, well then, does that mean God would allow bad things to happen to people he loves? You know, this is a, this is a tricky question. This is, a, this is a, a huge question to grapple with. Like, how would God, if he loves us, let, let supposedly bad things happen to the people that he loves? If he's sovereign, if he has authority, how does this happen? How could God send a storm to almost destroy the people on that ship if he loved those people. And if he loved Jonah, how could he do that? It's because often that God's plan for our lives is much more eternal, is much more long-term than what we are seeing in that moment. There is a much bigger state, there are much higher stakes at play when God, when God is moving in our lives and working in us beyond just the, the season or the situation that we're looking at. But God is seeing things from a much more eternal and long-term view. And so easy that we can get caught up in the situation that we're in, that we can't see the wood through the trees. We can't see beyond. What, what, it, what is God doing amongst it? What's the bigger play here? What is, the, what is the greater working that God is looking at when he's in it, working in our situations? And so often we can just be so numb to that, like Jonah, or so just so numbs that and dismiss these things, and we can let God pass us by. We can let, I, can, I know I can look back at my life, and there are so many situations where God was moving, and, and God was trying to get my attention, but I just let him pass by. I just, I, I, I rationalize that to be other things, or other things going, going on. And again, you see it all throughout, you know, I haven't got time for this, but all throughout the Old Testament, there'll be times where David would go to the Lord and say, is this a battle that we are to go and fight in? And God will say, yes, go and take that. Or, or God will say, no, actually, I want, you know, I'm going to go and fight this battle. I want you here to worship me. Or actually, this is a, God, I'm sending these people and you're going to learn through these things. But 
all this time that there are, it's not like God just moves in exactly the same way in every single thing. There isn't a, a formula, but that is why God wants relationship with us. And that there is nothing wrong that in our times of prayer we can just say, God, is this something that you are working in this situation? God, are you trying to tell me something in this? Or is this a battle that I'm meant to fight? Because what we don't want to do is end up fighting God in something. What we definitely don't want to do is end up fighting something that God is ordaining. And that we end up, rest, we end up fighting God and we are wasting our time and wasting our breath rather than working with God and letting God work in us and build something and sculpt something in our lives and in our hearts that is far greater than just the situation that we're in. There's nothing wrong with praying and asking God, God, are you speaking to me in this? Is there something, is there a bigger, bigger play here that I'm just not seeing? And I, often in my life, I've, I've missed these situations. But again, sometimes God is working in a much more eternal view in these situations. I remember, it tests me not my life, I remember when you know, I graduated from university, I got a good grade, um, I knew what I wanted to do, I started applying for jobs and for almost a year I couldn't get a single job. And I was applying for everything. I was reading books, I was doing all this stuff, and I couldn't get anything. I was getting final interviews, everything, and the door closed every single time. But I remember towards the, towards the end of that year, about a couple of months in, I realized that actually God was closing these doors. That God was keeping me and holding me up. And it was by the mercy of God, because at that time, okay, I went to church, but I never had a, a true relationship with God. I wasn't... I can say here, I wasn't a man of solid principle. I was a man that, sure, I had, my, I had my beliefs and I believed in some things, but those things could be subject to change. If I wanted things to, if things were, it was just a bit difficult or I didn't like it, I would move those things. I could, I could make allowances. I could compromise on things. But again, by the mercy of God, God kept me. Because when I was going to go and start working and, and lose time and be be around other people and, and all these things, those influences, if I, wasn't, if I didn't have that, I'd, I'd be so far away from God. I would let these little compromises, bit by bit by bit by bit, take me further and further away from God. And in fact, it was the mercy of God that kept me from getting a job for a year. It was in those times where I was seeking God and hours and hours and God was showing me his ways and changing my heart and doing a work in and through me where he was able to then work in me, and he was able to get a hold of me, and he was able to establish a life of, of things that were absolutes in my life, that would be no compromise, where before I was so compromised. And even though it was frustrating, even though we would see in the moment that God is doing, doing this awful thing and holding me back, but it's by the mercy of God. You know, it's so sad today that you'll see so many Christians that will say, you know, God... You know, that they're going to Hollywood and they're going to go and change Hollywood and they're going to change the situation around them. And then within 18 months, they've left God, they've forsaken God, they're even worse than the people around them. And yet in the time, we think, wow, what great favor of God that they've put them into this great position. But how awful it is that they've, they've now thrown their eternity away. That it's the mercy of God. You might think that in a situation that the doors might shut. And I'm not saying that everything's attributed to God. There is, we live in a fallen world and there is an enemy. And I'm not saying everything comes from God. But sometimes it is the very mercy of God that keeps you. It's the very mercy of God because he's preparing you. He's molding you, shaping you. He's, he's preserving you because your eternity and your, the, 
the long term is much more precious than the, the short term. And that he's not willing to let you throw away your eternity for the sake of what would seem to be as a, as a step up in the short term. And it is by the mercy of God that he keeps us. Again, it might feel frustrating, but these things can be so formative for us. Like with Jonah here, it was such a formative time where he's showing him the way, that he's not letting him get away. And, and in that storm, he's getting Jonah back to himself, calling him back, to, to back to his calling, back to the, the Christian life, back to the way that he'd ordained for him before he was even born. Again, I have a, I have a son, Micah, that you'll see running around, who's 18 months, and again, as a child, he has such a, he lives purely in the moment. You know, you can have the best day with him, and, and every parent with kids will know, or if you're about to have kids, you'll find out. But you, you can have the best day with them. Everything can go well, and you do, like, one little thing wrong, and they are screaming, and they are crying. You finish, like, you got bedtime reading, and you finish the book too early, or you don't read it for, like, the eighth time. And they're crying, and they're screaming. You're like, man, we've had the best day. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's great. But they're in tears, and they're like, you think you're, like, the worst parent in the world. And... Or they're crying in the supermarket, and you just look like the worst person ever. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying my best here. <laughs> but again, like, sometimes that can be with us, with God, that we are so short-term minded, we are so living in the moment, that we can't see, we can't see the wood through the trees. We can't see the, the greater plan that God is working with. And so often that in that short term, it might seem bad, but it's because God is sculpting and molding us and shaping us and God has got something for us that is far exceedingly above anything that we could ever ask or think. That there is a, there is a greater work being done here. It's not necessarily a, 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 a holding us back, but it is, a, it is setting us up for something much greater and building in us something that is much greater and has much greater eternal value that carries a much greater weight to it that Jesus is trying to form in us. And this is the wonderful thing. And this is the wonderful thing that he's doing with Jonah in calling him to himself in this great storm that he's facing, in this, in this time that God is, is bringing him back to himself, to, to bring him back to his calling for, his, for Jonah's life. That God is speaking to him. God is ministering to him. And God's perp- God is calling him back to his purpose. Again, I'm not saying that every single thing in our life happens is subject to the will of God. We live in a fallen world, and we have an enemy that's seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. But there are times where God is ministering to us, where God is trying to get our attention, when God is trying to, whether it's through friends, whether it's through family, whether it's through, whether it's through create nature, whether it's through situations that are taking place, so, sometimes it is God trying to get a hold of us and trying to get our attention. And it will do us good sometimes just to pray and ask God, God, what are you saying? Is this from you? Is this a battle I'm fighting? Or is this something I need to submit to and learn from and, and grow in and be molded in? Thank you, Lord. And then that leads us to the, to the next point of, of why does God pursue us? You know, does God pursue us purely to, to fulfill our calling? You know, that is definitely part of it. But that's not the, the whole thing. If, if God's sole purpose for us was to, to do a job, then the book of Jonah would finish in chapter 3 and we'd be done. There'd be no more conversation. He's gone, he goes, he preaches, he preaches the message that God's given him for Nineveh, for that, for that place, and then that would be it. But God, 
has a, great, has a purpose that isn't just fulfilling a mission. He's looking to, to get a hold of us. He's looking to get a hold of our hearts and who we are. It says in Revelation 4.11 that it says that we were all created for God's good pleasure. It, it literally says, you're worthy, O Lord, like, like Natty was saying earlier, you're worthy, O Lord, receive all glory and honor and power for by your will, these things exist and you're, were created. By your good pleasure, they exist and were created. That it's the pleasure of God that we exist. Not only that we are created, but it's by God's will and by his great pleasure that we are still exist today. That God pursues us because he loves us and he longs for us and he wants our hearts, he wants us. You see there in the story of Jonah that the storm is coming and they're trying to throw things out of the boat. They're trying to lighten the load, it says in another translation. It says they're trying to lighten the load. But how often we do that in our life, we might be convicted by something by the Holy Spirit. We might be, we might be awakened to something that is wrong in our lives that needs fixing. And we think the response to that is purely just to make our lives a little bit better, maybe clean up our act in certain areas, do these things. But God alone isn't just calling us just to live a better life or to live a cleaner life or a more holy life, but he's calling us because he wants, he wants us. He wants our whole life. He doesn't want just an improvement on your life. He wants your life. And as they were getting things out of the boat to make it lighter, he wasn't looking for that. He was looking for the man, Jonah. He wanted the man. He didn't want just to, to get a few things out. He wanted the whole man. And again, that's what it is for our life, that God is... God has got a far greater plan. He doesn't want just you to, to improve or enhance your life or, or clean it up, but he wants you. He wants your heart. He wants who, all of who you are. And this was the call of Jonah. He wanted all of him. He wanted, he wanted him out of the boat. He wanted, he wanted the fish to swallow him. He wanted to get a hold of Jonah. He wanted to get him back, the whole of him. And this is what it is for our life. This is the victorious Christian life where Paul speaks of it in Philippians 3. He says, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. That I may grab a hold of God like God has grabbed a hold of me. That he may have me and that I may have him. This is the great Christian life that it calls us. This is the, the much higher goal. This is the, not just to fulfill a calling as powerful as that is. You know, in the Christian life, we should be living with purpose and intentionality. There should be a a reason for why we, we live, but it goes beyond just fulfilling a, a job or a, a task. It's, it goes unto the Lord and that God has us. That God has a hold of us and we have a hold of him. It's what happened again with the, 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 young rich, the rich young ruler that came to God that was living a great life. But Jesus saw one thing. He saw that he hadn't quite given all of him to Jesus yet. And he said, go sell those things that you have and then come and follow me. But he wouldn't go and follow him. Because, again, God is looking for all of us. He wants our hearts. He wants who we are. He wants us to say yes to him, and even when it's difficult for us. Because God loves us, and God longs for us, and he pursues us. And he doesn't just, and it, that pursuing of us isn't just to have a relationship with him, but it says in Romans 8 that we may be conformed into his image. That he wants us so that we'd have a relationship with him, but we would become more and more like him that we would be formed and that we would look like Jesus in our everyday lives. And this is, where, this is what God wanted with that storm. He wanted to get a hold of Jonah. He wanted Jonah for himself. And the reason why he pursues us is because he loves us. 
You know, God is love, and, and love is a wonderful thing. It gives us hope, it gives us joy, it gives us oftentimes a reason to live. It looks for ways to, to please the ones that we love and finds creative ways to, to show love. But love at its core, true love, also involves a cost. You know, the, for me, the, my favorite verse in the whole Bible is, is uh, John 3.16. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It doesn't say God so loved the world that he wrote about it or sung, sung a song about it. It said that he, had, he gave Jesus that was hung on a tree because of his love for us. That his love, at, at one point of another, that in your love, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, it will come a cost to prove that love. At one point or another, there will have to be a price to determine that love and that God's love for us was paid in full through giving of Jesus. Through the giving of his life that says in John 15 that no greater love is this than to lay down one's life for his friends. That the greatest act of love is the laying down of our own lives. And that God doesn't just love us because he woke up one day and chose and just decided to love us. He chose to love us. And God's love that, that was choice was an active choice from God, and it involved a, a real cost to him. He had to send his only son, and it speaks in Revelation that he, is, he still carries the wounds today, Jesus. He still bears the marks at, from Calvary, and that, that, that was still a real thing that Jesus had to endure when he took on the sin of the world and was, was beaten and bruised that we may have life. As, as joy and the service wonderfully took us through communion today, that that this is a, a living communion for us today. This is the only way to God through Jesus and through his blood and through his body and through Calvary. And that when God loves us, when God pursues us, it's not just because God is a nice fluffy God, but it's because God chose that way. It's because God paid for that way. God doesn't just say these things, but he, he has to, to back it up and he has to back it up with his only son. And that this is the, the wonderful gospel that we have. There is no other gospel. There is no other religion that demands that God dies for his people. There is no other religion that states that God has to send his son and that the creation has to, puts to death its own creator. But when Jesus pays that price and when he ascends on high, he, it says in Ephesians that he ascended on high and he takes captivity captive and that he gave great gifts to men that through this resurrection that we are resurrected, that through this resurrection of Jesus, we receive baptism and a new life, that we receive a new life. And as, as Jonah came out of the whale, that for us also that we come out, that we come out to live a new life, to a new calling, for a new purpose, that we have a new spirit within us. That this is the wonderful gospel, that God doesn't just pursue us because that, it, that he wants to, but it's because he, he chose to. It's because he chose to pursue us, because he gave us Jesus, his only begotten son. This is the wonderful thing. And it's not just for us to fulfill a job. It's not for us just to, to meet an end goal, but it's for us to know him and to be close to him and to become like him and to be conformed into the image of Jesus, to be molded into his image, to work in us a much more eternal and weighty glory in our lives, for a much greater thing that in the ends of the ages, that it will pass through, that it will be, there will be a great reward, that when our lives are, are, are weighed and they are tested, there will be a much more greater weight to it than just fulfilling a job or, 
by being, living a nice life, but there'll be a great victorious Christian life. Because when we look at ourselves, when others look around us, or when we look in the mirror, we say that Christ formed me, that God has molded me, that this, this is the working of God, that God has done this in me. God has done this in my life. God has sculpted me. This hasn't been, this hasn't been me trying to improve my life, but God has got a hold of me, and I have got a hold of God. And this is the wonderful call. And that may we be aware of this. May we be aware of God pursuing us. If I could invite Tom and the, the worship up. May we be aware of God speaking to us and ministering to us. May we not let these times pass us by. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at centrechurch.uk or check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk